you know, we shared the same, like I said before, we shared the same high school teachers. There's like these family ties and, and neighborhood ties that you're almost protective of him too, because you don't want to ruin that experience for, for him, for his family or for everybody else in town. Cause you know, if you're hanging out at Jenkinson's one night, you still want the board of the pony. You still want the possibility of him showing up. If, if you're, you know, if you're busy making memories instead of, instead of everyone being able to be in that moment, give memories, hey, give me an autograph. Let me take a selfie. Let me do this. Yeah. No, be there, be in the experience, experience yeah. it together. So it's a shared joyful experience. And then you'll have that memory. You'll have that experience and it's shared together, you know? Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are staying on the Bruce train, but we may have a few stops in a couple other areas. My, I just spent a lovely time talking to my guest, and he said that he's going to follow my lead. So, Corey, that may be a dangerous thing. Uh, Corey, welcome to the show. Well, if it goes Thunder Road, you know, I'll, I'll go down that road anytime, Jesse. So it's great to be here. Well, thank you so much. Uh, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, sure. Well, I, the Bruce connection is I went to, it would have been the same high school, but, but I was about 20 something years behind Bruce. So by the time I got there, there were five separate high schools. Okay. Uh, so Bruce went to a, what was called Freehold Borough. Uh, I think his grandfather lived where in the town that I lived in, which is English town near the auction and all that. So I, when I say I'm from Bruce, Bruce Springsteen country, you know, like my hometown, that, my hometown, that's my hometown. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So that, that's where I grew up. Great place to grow up. And the poetry of Bruce definitely coursed through all of our veins. And by the time we were teenagers uh, in the in the 80s, it was almost like a mythology that that we all wanted to live into, wanted to aspire to, wanted to have those uh, you know, Bruce's version of Romeo and Juliet type experiences. And, but all of those streets that worked their way into his lyrics and his stories, those were the streets that we grew up on route 88 and route nine and route 18, route 30, like all those and the shore, obviously. Uh, so then every once in a while, if you went to Jersey freeze and Bruce happened to be there with his wife and little kids, it was, uh, it, it was a treat obviously, but it felt, it still felt like home. You know, yeah, sure. or if you happen to see a, a Southside Johnny show and Bruce would, would sit in or, or just surprise everybody. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was awesome. It was great. But it also it just it felt like family coming home, you know, so sure. That was my upbringing. But that's not really what you asked. I, I'm just so excited to talk about Bruce. So. No, no, no. I've, that's that's great. It's good. You know, one of the things um, and I warned you, we will go off on tangents. Um one of my favorite comic conventions is Dragon Con, which is set in Atlanta, Georgia over Labor Day weekend. Pre-pandemic, 
If Bruce wasn't touring, I went to Dragon Con. If Bruce is touring, I've skipped Dragon Con. My wife's like, you, you can't go to both, okay? We only have so much disposable income. But one of the things that makes Dragon Con different is, and I'm going to stick to landing, is the in most comic conventions, like especially San Diego, the guests go back and stay off the way, right? But in Dragon Con, it is not unusual to go to a bar and there will be someone from your favorite movie, your favorite TV show, your favorite writer just at the bar talking. Yeah. No one, 99% of the people don't ask for an autograph, don't ask for a photo. They just treat it as normal because they know the moment you start going into convention mode, they're going to, they're going to barrel out, right? Because they, they can't walk around free. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite moments is, uh, the great character actor, Mark Shepard, who's been at everything, uh, was in, uh, I was, there was somebody talking to this woman who was in a Stargate uniform and he was telling her, you know, you need to watch Dr. Who. You know, and she's like, oh, you sure? And he goes, no, and it go. And so I start jumping in, explaining the same reasons why. And I looked and it was Mark Shepard, who had actually had guest starred in Doctor Who. So uh, it is. So I assume in this, I'll freak, right? People treat Bruce that way when you see him in the wild, right? You don't, oh, oh, good. You know, uh, I'm sure, again, I see pictures all the time. Like, he's like, yeah, sure, I have a picture. But it seems like you guys tend to leave him like, hey, he's one of us. Let's respect him. Yeah, you know, you got to be somewhat, he has to be somewhat protective. Yeah. Obviously, you know, once, I think it was 1984 when Born in the USA came out. Yeah. Once that once that came out and he came to a whole other level of prominence, he had to be a little bit more guarded. But when it's your hometown, it's you know, your kids might be playing soccer with his kids. Right. You know, or, you know, we shared the same like I said before, we shared the same high school teachers. There's like these family ties and, and neighborhood ties that you're almost protective of him, too, because you don't want to ruin that experience for for him, for his family or for everybody else in town. Cause you know, if you're hanging out at Jenkinson's one night, you still want the board of the pony. You still want the possibility of him showing up. Right. But if, if you're, you know, if you're busy making memories instead of, instead of everyone being able to be in that moment, you yeah. know, making memories, hey, give me an autograph. Let me take a selfie. Let me do this. Yeah. That. No, be there, be in the experience, experience yeah. it together. So it's a shared joyful experience. And then you'll have that memory. You'll have that experience and it's shared together, you know? Absolutely. So. Um, always like to start at the beginning. You talk about growing up, what kind of music you, you've already stressed that, you know, much like living in Dallas, being a Dallas Cowboy fan is in your blood. I mean, yeah. it is almost impossible to grow up in Dallas and not have that love of, you know, football. So obviously Bruce was in the water yeah. as you're growing up, but what, what kind of music did your family listen to? What is there other things besides Bruce? So, uh, yes, for sure. My parents were on the very early side of the baby boomers. Okay. So they were, 
they were a little bit older than what you would think of as like the middle of the hippie generation. Sure. They were, they were already married by 1967, but they were still into it. They were still very, my dad in particular was very much into the folk scene. So I was listening to anybody who played around Bleecker and McDougal in, in, in the city. Uh, I was listening, not just, you know, Dylan and those guys are, and, um, but he was introducing me to Woody Guthrie, to Pete Seeger, to the Weavers, to, uh, Phil Oaks to just all kinds of Steve Goodman to all kinds of great acoustic folk musicians. And then obviously I got into the popular folk stuff too, the Mamas and the Papas, Peter, Paul and Mary, but that was, that was one part of it. They were also had some of the cultural accoutrement, if you will. Uh, so, you know, there would be some Peter Tosh and, and uh, what was the fellow's name who just passed away uh, Toots and the Maytals. Uh, so mm-hmm. in addition to Bob Marley, of course, there was some of that, going on as well my mother was very much into classical uh i was not that sophisticated uh to get into that stuff uh plus my mother and i a tense relationship as any jewish mother and jewish son might have okay (laughs) so i wasn't as drawn to her stuff as my dad's uh but yeah so and then my brother was into you know a harder rock so he was or kind of a yeah, he was into, I was going to say a more popular version of hard rock, but like he was into Zeppelin and, and Van Halen and uh, Metallica a little bit later on. So I heard that coming out of his room. And then over time, I just developed my own taste. But really pre, like in the 80s, Bruce really, really resonated with me. So I got more into his music than the rest of my family. And then later on, some other musicians that came out of that same area. I think I, I wrote to you, I said, Two yeah. towns to the north of me in Sayreville was was the Bon Jovi's, the John Bon Jovi and his family. Right. And uh, two towns the other way to the west of us, guys that were really close, close in age. They graduated in 86. I graduated 89. So Popper and Chan and the, the guys from Blues Traveler were already playing by the time I could go to. <laughs> yeah, I refer to them as the backyard keggers, you know, and sure. small bars in Rutgers and Princeton. Uh, but that's how they started when I first started, really, you know, when I was able to drive and. Um, and then they they really popped in the early 90s. So and I was fortunate, like this medium is so cool because a lot of times you do get to talk to folks that you've been following for so long. I've been such a huge fan of Popper and and, and the guys, but uh, the Blues Traveler. I, but I never got to talk to him except for like in passing at 3 a.m. at the very end of a show yeah. at Chestnut Cabaret. But Popper came on our program just recently and I got to talk to him for an hour. It was really cool. That's you very know, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure, you know, you've had uh, you've had some cool guests on your program, too. So, yeah, um, the, I, I've not been able to get a like I said, uh, Vinny Lopez, the original drummer for this band, has joined me. Um, I, I've had a couple of cool guests um, have not been able to land a member of the East Street Band inner circle yet. Um, hope remains eternal, though my bread and butter is just fans like you and I just telling yeah. our stories. You, I want to jump ahead. You, in your email to me, you mentioned that right now jazz is what's speaking to your heart. Tell me about that journey. How did you get to this? Well, I've, I've heard some of the more popular, accessible uh, jazz songs. Yeah. But never really got into it. But I had this chance encounter in uh, Durham, North Carolina. Okay. A buddy of mine was going to Duke Divinity School. And I crashed a class that he was going to. 
it was about race, uh, the theology and race. And it was about this intersection uh, of ingredients that were really compelling to me. And I wanted to see what this professor was all about. And the professor was teaching on this concept in Christianity called the body of Christ. Okay. Uh, and it's like the people of God and how we work together, but how we're all still individual uh, within the within the body. And the teacher, a really profound uh, professor, a fellow named Jay Cameron Carter, he teaches at Indiana now. He introduced this concept with about 45 minutes of jazz. And he was playing these Coltrane, the, these recordings, Coltrane and, and uh, Thelonious Monk. Uh, actually, I, the, the piece he was playing is, uh, the first piece he played was Naima, uh, one of Coltrane's okay. compositions. And he said, and, and he was talking about Colt, uh, a series of interviews Coltrane did at about that time. And, he, and Coltrane was talking about virtuosity, but he talked mm-hmm. about it in such a way that he, he was also, uh, I don't know how active of a Christian he was, but he was talking about it in theological terms. He said his virtuosity was at its peak when a few mm-hmm. things were in place. One is when all of the musicians are faithful to the score, faithful to the composition, whether it's Coltrane's, whether it's Monk's, or, or they were playing somebody else's, uh, somebody else's piece being faithful to that. But within that, having freedom within each of the movements of that score, you know, and he said, the other thing is when I'm playing among other virtuosos, the way the E street band is, everyone is an absolute virtuoso at their particular piece at the, at their, on their particular instrument, you know, so those combinations of things. So anyway, he, he introduced it that way. And the body of Christ has very, uh, a lot of similarities, uh, in it's, um, in how, uh, St. Paul talks about it. So when I, uh, I was on a road trip and when I left Duke, I happened to be at a Starbucks and this uh, CD of Coltrane is staring at me. I said, mm-hmm. I've never bought a CD in, uh, in a Starbucks, but I got to do this. Yeah. And that was the beginning of a beautiful relationship. I got into Coltrane and, and Monk and uh, the guys who came before them, uh, Dizzy Gillespie uh-huh. and Charlie Parker. And then just really dig diving deep that, that uh, Ken Burns documentary on jazz, what a gift yeah. to our culture yeah. that is. So really yeah. got me into it. Did you, did you watch the country and Western one? I did. I that did. was, that was, see, I grew up in a family that loved country music. <gasps> you know, uh, my dad was in the army. We moved around a lot. Um, I, I grew up in a Southern Baptist household um, and, you know, country music was the only music I, I've told the story multiple times. I had cousins in Ohio and this was probably in the late sixties. Cause I was born in 59. So this is probably 68, 69. Um, and my cousins c- could not believe I couldn't name all four Beatles, but I mean, you know, <laughs> we weren't listening to the Beatles that, you know, on the radio in my, you know, parents car. Um, so, I, I enjoyed the jazz documentary a lot. Uh, boy, but that country and Western just, just spoke to my heart because it was so much about what I came from. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I love the way Burns is able to tell the story of our country yeah. through these documentaries, like tracking uh, country and Western. <laughs> yeah. I do have friends, by the way, who are country fans and they, uh, one fellow often says, you know, I like both forms of music, country and Western. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, but that, that is the joke I tell. Like I've listened to both kinds of music growing up, you know, country and Western. So, yes, absolutely. But it really uh, is tied into uh, I mean, folk is 
it, it literally is the story of our country. Yes. You know, a lot of times the, the stories or histories get written about the folks who lead the country, presidents and kings and wars yeah. and stuff like that. But folk music in a way, which is the roots of country, is is people riding trains. You know, that's yeah. that Woody Guthrie riding trains, being among the people of our country, uh, yeah. you know, around a campfire and telling that story of being around the campfire with with folks. So, yeah, folk music, you know, so. Well, first off, talk about your podcast. What, what is your podcast? And tell me the name of it and tell me about what it is. Sure. It's called Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. And it is just as it sounds. I came to a conclusion a long time ago, actually, that one of the greatest ills in our culture that needs to be redeemed is this polarization of everything. The fact that there are these important topics that we can somehow not talk about. Yeah. And I really felt compelled. I felt an imperative to begin to redeem some of that to, you know, not that I'm going to take over for Fox news and have that large of an audience, but if one conversation at a time I can share with one person or a hundred people or a thousand or 10,000 people, that's just one little dent that we can make where, you know, I can talk to Christians and Jews. And today I, I recorded a conversation with a fellow who is the executive director of the Secular Student Alliance, and he happens to be an atheist. And there a lot of people come on and I have huge differences with on any particular issue. But what we agree upon is that we want to be able to talk about important issues without killing each other, without getting so, um, so rancorous, so, mm -hmm. you know, so heated that we can and, and we don't have to find common ground on everything. Right. But we can better understand each other's point of view where there is disagreement, understand each other across our differences. So we've yeah. been very, very fortunate. We've been able to get on, you know, I, I kind of alluded to this before, but yeah. you know, it's this medium is so cool because there are these writers and thinkers and faith leaders and politicians that I've genuinely admired, some of whom I've admired because they're able to articulate things that I disagree with in such a way that I understand, I've been able to bring them on my program, you know, mm -hmm. or just cultural influencers. We, a couple yeah. of weeks ago, we had, um, we had Rick Wilson, one of the co-founders of the Lincoln project mm -hmm. who arguably made enough of an impact in four critical States, you know, a few thousand votes in four critical States and they impacted the election. It yeah. wasn't all their, you know, all, all they're doing, but you know, influencers like that, or a writer uh, that we're having on in a couple of weeks, Jonathan Rauch. Well, what a what an erudite, beautiful, nuanced thinker he is. Now, I happen to be religious. I, I told you I grew up Jewish. I did become a Christian about 20 years ago. Jonathan happens to be an atheist. Uh, and he but, but the things that he writes about, there are shared values there. There are shared priorities there. Yeah. So it's going to be a great conversation. We've had, you know, a couple dozen, several dozen folks that I've admired like that for a long, long time. And it's been a real treat to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about your journey. What, what, um, tell me about changing how you grew up Jewish. What, what were you searching for? Tell me a little bit about your, uh, your religious journey, your spiritual journey. Sure. Yeah, I'll try not to make that too long of a story. Oh, that's it, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I grew up in an observant Jewish family. We went to an Orthodox synagogue. But I think that I was still searching throughout 
my late teens and well into my twenties. Okay. And that combined with, I was at a stage in my life uh, in my late twenties that I was ready to have a family. I was just getting started in business. I was looking for mentorship and the folks that I was seeking for mentorship, a couple of them in particular happened to be Christians. So when I'd ask for a book, they'd often give me what I think thought of as like a Jesus book. It was like what Jesus thinks of sales, what Jesus thinks of being a good father, what Jesus thinks of building a business, you know, and, and it annoyed me being a Jew, especially a Jew from the Northeast. Sure. So I, but like I said, I was asking existential questions that I was not, I didn't have all the answers. These questions were still very much unsettled. How did this whole universe thing begin? What are some of the problems in the universe? Is there some bigger plan in place that that is healing some of these wounds? In Judaism, we think of it as tikkun olam or heal the world. You know, so I was thinking of myself within that con- the context of those questions. And I did start reading theology and philosophy in search. There were a couple of motivating factors that in the spring and summer of 2000, I had this voracious, I still have a voracious reading habit, but I was literally reading about 10 hours a day, different philosophy and different theology and what's called apologetics. Uh, And not not just Christian uh, literature, Hinduism, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism. Mm -hmm. Long story short, I began to realize that some of the answers to, well, first I began to get clear on what my actual questions were. I couldn't okay. even articulate what they were. And I began to get clear on what my questions were. And the set of answers in the Christian story, in this Jesus character being born, dying uh, on a cross and you know, being yeah. raised from the dead, um, that just made sense to me. What God was doing, that there is a creator God, what God is doing in his creation, that we're in this, we're participating in this larger project of redeeming the creation. That all just made a heck of a lot of sense to me. And then the last thing that kicked it for me was realizing that this Jesus character was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and this whole time, as voracious of a reading habit as I had, I hadn't read the New Testament. And in fine, I think it was October of 2000, I finally cracked open the book. The very first letter I read was actually James, which is a good one for me to read because it's written specifically to the 12 tribes, which yeah. I'm a part of. But then I went to Mark, uh, excuse me, I went to Matthew, and about five chapters into Matthew, I read what I recognized as a Devar Torah, which is a very Jewish thing. It's what the rabbi, the, it, when you read from the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, it, the rabbi then usually gives a Devar Torah, like an explanation of what you just read. So this Jesus character was given the Devar to the most brilliant Devar Torah I'd ever read or heard, mm-hmm. happened to be the Sermon on the Mount. So not too long after I read through the whole new Testament about two days. And then not too long after that, I prayed a clumsy prayer and just figured, yeah, this Christian thing, this Jesus person, this Jesus, you know, this whole thing just makes sense. And much to my family's dismay, I had to do that. You know, I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. So (laughs) yeah, I I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. uh, It does a lot. Um, I, you know, I, I'm on my own journey. Um, that, um, as I said, grew up in a very strict Southern Baptist home, uh, started dating uh, my wife early. We were young and, um, you know, started dating in 1980. And, 
you know, started going to Catholicism mass with her, converted, we got married. Um, and so it is, I've had my own journey about finding, um, and, you know, I, I'm interested in hearing more about your podcast because I do think that as a group, um, we tend to, we're, we're angry. We're, we're angry all the time. I know I am, um, as we're recording this, it's, it's, you know, May 4th and, you know, this information about the Supreme court has leaked and there's just people just raging anger. Um, and it is, um, I, I, I feel at times that both that members of all faith, including non-faith, atheists, Protestants, Catholics, Muslims, Jewish, whatever, extreme religion gets a bad rap. You know, it can be held very judgmental by people. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I will take that, the leak of Alito's uh, paper that yeah. I'm sure it'll be edited when it's officially released. Yeah. But my my tendency was to better understand first of all is it the real thing or not and you know when uh chief justice said that yeah this is this is real i wanted to understand what was in it yeah and then i wanted to seek out good analysts who could describe both the implications of the fact that this thing was leaked what that means for the supreme court as as an institution i also wanted to understand what's actually in this uh what's in the uh, the, what was released, the yeah. substance of it. And then I also wanted to understand the political implications of it. So that's how I spent my time over the last 24 hours. It's only okay. been about 24, 48 hours. Exactly. Yeah. But over the course of that time, I've also noticed that there's been a great deal of volume and intensity and in talk about it. But what I've noticed, and, and I should, we should have anticipated this, is that it's mostly folks that are screaming you know, whether it's online and all the all caps thing, but it's, it's, it's virtually screaming about the other side. So it, it, and that tends to, it tends to drown out, take all the oxygen out of the room of the kinds of conversations that I find more compelling, more important. Mm -hmm. And, And what I also realized is that the folks who are screaming about the other side are defined by their enemy. Yeah. So, so number one, you know, and I guess a, a major media complex has been built on this model where it is, you know, you t- turn on Sean Hannity and the first 15 minutes of every radio program is the left wants you to or, you know, the left is trying to the left yeah. wants to take, you know, he's defining the left in very general terms, usually almost always mischaracterizing what the left is doing. And by the way, you know, I, I've I had a, a fellow named Joe Walsh, not the guitarist, but the former yeah. congressman who also had a national radio program. He's very prominent in conservative radio circles uh, and has since had a major evolution of thought, a major anti-Trumper. And in recent months and years, he's been revealing how this all works. Yeah. He said that he would go into the, the studio every morning and he would find the worst isolated incident. It could be some crazy wackadoo up in North Dakota who did something just inane or stupid. And then he would take that one story and he would blow it up to make it sound like this is what the left, this is what they do. Yeah. 
you know, so it, it's really, it's really uh, taking a straw man example and overgeneralizing uh, anyone who might be outside of a certain thought bubble yeah. uh, and, and then demonizing them for that so that you can keep the vitriol up. And why? Because it works. You get yeah. more downloads, you get more, a, a larger audience share. It, it, it works, unfortunately. So, yeah. but, but that, what that does is, is it defines the individual. Yes, it's a bad influence on our culture. Yes, it works in that a lot of people are persuaded by this nonsense, but, but we can do, I think we can do better. Yeah. I think, I think that we can, there's, there's so many folks who are just exhausted by all this. And, and I would say a plurality, if not a, a, a majority of us have been silenced because that's the, it seems like that's the only way to enter into the conversation. Yeah. To and bring it back to Bruce for just a minute. Sure. Yeah. Right. The, uh, and I, I don't, I do not remember who said this, but it was perfect that said, um, if you want to see how divided this country is, look how both sides, the extreme right and the extreme left, reacted to Bruce's Super Bowl commercial about the middle, right? I mean, forget the fans that were unhappy that, you know, he did a, he sold out and did a commercial, but the, the political sides of the far right going, oh man, you've, you've talked trash about Trump all this time and now you want to go to the middle and then the extreme left, what? No, we're not meeting in the middle with fascists. And, you know, <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, he, a message of, Hey, can we remember that you're talking to someone who is a person that message got left because of you know, everyone's anger and I get it. I, I'm angry a lot too. Yeah. You know, Corey, yeah. And that's why I'm interested by your podcast. Well, you know, part of it is just rehumanizing each other. You know, a lot of times we spend time, we spent uh, the first chunk of, of our conversations just talking about the person's background, you know, because I don't want just this person just to be the, the one who wrote that article that pissed a bunch of people off. Yeah. I want the person to be an actual person who had, who grew up with a certain family upbringing with a certain religious belief or had an experience in college and got fascinated by politics or the law or something else for this reason. And that it, it vests that person with humanity, you know, instead of seeing, you know, a body in front of us, we see a human being, we see a soul. Yeah. You know, and I think that's important. And even folks, that like, look, I, I don't, it's hard for me to really sympathize with or understand folks who are still saying, look, just stop the steal. The election was stolen. Yeah. Trump is the real, like, it's hard for me to get that there, yeah. but I'd love to sit down with a person and have an extended conversation to figure out what, what is it that you really believe? Why do you think that not yeah. to try to convince them, but just to understand, try because to listen, understand. I ain't going to convince them if they're still thinking that the election was stolen after, you know, 60 something cases that the conservative legal movement helped to decide that I ain't convincing them of anything, but at least I can understand that individual. Yeah. Like one of the things, Corey, that, um, and once again, I don't remember who said it, but as a society, we want to believe the best in ourselves and the worst of other person. When I make a joke, it is an honest 
you know, I, I have good intentions. I'm just trying to be funny. When you say that statement, you're a racist POS, right? Yeah, that's, that's a narcissistic exercise. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the very picture of narcissism right yeah. there. And listen, yeah. I have those tendencies too. You know, I, yeah. I'd be lying if I said I didn't think I was right all the time and everybody else was wrong. Oh, yeah. But we got to at least recognize that and admit to the possibility. You know, you know why I believe in God? Because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, more than anything else in the entire universe, that if there's one thing that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know, is I ain't God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so if I ain't God, I ain't perfect and I, I'm wrong. And I could give you scores of examples, probably just today, where I screwed up in all kinds of ways. Yeah. So as long as we admit that, that we ain't God, we ain't perfect, we don't have all the answers, I think that's at least a good starting point. And then maybe you can learn something from the other person that we think we disagree with a ton, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, it's so fascinating to see this. And and I, you know, I worry. Um, and so I think podcasts like yours, dialogue like yours is a good thing. Um, you know, and we're, we'll go back to music in a minute of it, but um I would love to interview, and I've said this on Twitter, um, Chris Christie. Yeah. You know, he's a huge Springsteen fan, and he has talked about in documentaries, he grew up a Roger Staubach fan. Okay. You know, he's, a, you know, and so I, yeah. like, I would love to talk to Chris Christie about his Springsteen fandom and like, what is it like, you know, growing up in the East Coast? actually governor of a state but when the cowboys are playing the giants who play in your state you're like cheering for the cowboys right and a couple of my people who i love answered in twitter i won't listen to that one jesse mm. and i'm like but I i'm not going to talk politics you know um I i'm i'm going to talk about music i'm going to find a common ground um you know that's really too bad. I, I understand it. There's, yeah. There are a lot of folks that won't listen to my program because I haven't had a right winger on there. Like I, I just, there's plenty of time given to folks who are on the yeah. stop the steal and the, yeah. you know, anti this and anti that. And listen, Fox News, OANN, you yeah. know, there are so many programs that just Bongino yeah. that, that really, they got plenty of space. I don't need to give them space on my program. Yeah. But guys like Chris Christie, are much more interesting. He's definitely high on my list of dream guests. In fact, yeah. just yesterday we heard from uh, Governor Christine Todd Whitman, one of uh, Governor uh, Christie's predecessors, mm -hmm. who is also a cabinet level member of George W. Bush's administration, uh, or she was ahead of EPA, I think. Okay. Either way, she that she is such a compelling figure to me because she's a very very prominent Republican, and yet on principle she was one of the uh, uh, primetime speakers in the 2020 uh, Democratic National Convention. Yeah. You know, she found common cause with folks that she's been, quote unquote, on the other side yeah. from for decades. Her She spent her whole career as a very prominent conservative Republican. Yeah. But she thought that this American democracy, this project, this experiment was more important than her par party affiliation. So it is an absolute thrill for me to be able to have someone like that on the program, to learn about, about her life story growing up on a farm, to yeah. learn about how she got interested in politics, going to the, the 56 Eisenhower convention. You know, I, I just, I'm fascinated by people who can allow for some nuance, who can allow to, for the possibility 
that they might enjoy the same music as somebody who voted differently than they did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, on a much less um, serious note, I won't say less important note, but <laughs> I get a lot of jokes um, of people because of my podcast. I can't believe I never thought I'd be a cowboy fan, yeah. friend of a cowboy fan, you know, because, you know, the NFC East and everything. So um, I, I really, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that. I have thrown an open invite. I now, you know, there are certainly fans of Bruce Springsteen that tend to be more conservative. Um, and I have thrown open my door to someone who's like, well, I just can't listen to his music anymore because of his politics. I'm like, well, come on the show and talk about that. You know, let's talk about that, you know, um, because I find it very interesting, separate the art from the artist. I, I was watching a documentary, that documentary on Woody Allen. Right. And mm -hmm. so I was, I was never a major Woody Allen fan. So I had no feelings whatsoever, but Josh Whedon, on the other hand, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, you know, the Avengers, you know, this is one of my favorite creative people. And then when you hear all the stories about how he's treated people, you go, oh, do I separate the art from the artist? And I end up saying, yes, I, I can separate because, you know, television and things are um, a cumulative issue and i'm not going to take away something i love because of his behavior or someone else's behavior yeah so you bring up a really really interesting point and i'll respond in a couple different ways one Please is do. sort of the issue more broadly speaking that how if, if we decide that we can't separate the art from the artist how far do we take this and does and and what what is a death penalty yeah. level sin, you know, uh, speaking, you know, just not the actual death penalty, right. but no. like, no, we ban them and all of their art and all their Dixie products. chicks, Dixie yeah. chicks went from being the golden, you know, star of country music to thrown to the heaps. Yeah. But I got to tell you, some of my favorite movies are Weinstein movies or, or Miramax movies. So yeah. do I not watch any movies that they, the brothers produced? You know, how far do we take it? But let me tell you, I still grapple with it uh, on a very personal level. So I mentioned the term apologetics before, and it's not yeah. the science of going around apologizing. It, it's from yeah. the Greek word apologia, which means make a, you, you probably know this from uh, going to church, um, make a ready defense for the hope that's within you. And then the, the rest of the verse talks about, but with gentleness and respect. So that's, that's a, a discipline, if you will. And there are arguably the most prominent apologist in the world over the last 30 to 40 years is a fellow named Ravi Zacharias, who died almost exactly two years ago. Well, Ravi was someone I was introduced to before I became a Christian. And a lot of his work and his writing was very influential in my own thinking. And then he turned me in the direction of other theologians like C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton and Malcolm Muggridge, whose work also became very um, very influential in my thinking. Uh, over time, Ravi and I became friends. Uh, he wasn't just a mentor. I considered him a friend. I became close with his family. And right around the time that he was dying, and then ultimately after he died, it came out that Ravi was a serial sexual predator. Mm. 
uh, and it came as a complete surprise to anyone who was close to him, including his family. So what do I do with that? You know, to your point, like, do I then take everything that I learned from Ravi uh, and, and all the different directions that I, that he pointed me towards, does, does that, does it cancel that all of that out? And as grievous as his sins were, as much harm as he did to indiv- not just the individuals, but the individual's families, like uh, all of the ripple effects of that damage, we have to reckon with that. So yeah. don't, you know, don't get me wrong that, that it's grievous what he did, but does that make, does that make the theology that I learned any less true? Does it, does it make, I mean, just even folks who aren't Christians, if you, there are certain, there's certain transcendent wisdom that I think a lot of us can agree upon. Right. You know, we were taught, I was talking about this with somebody today, the fruit of the spirit, love, yeah. joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are, these are transcendent virtues. These are, yeah. these could be embraced as humanistic virtues. Right. You know, so Ravi's sins doesn't make that untrue. Yeah. So that's not a yes or no. It's no, that's that's no, I I get it. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, one of my favorite podcasts is uh, Penn Sunday School, Penn Gillette. You know, um, you know, he tells the story that, you know, he's a huge Bob Dylan fan and they they asked him to write. They were going to do unreleased material and they they reached out to him to his dream, right? To write about Bob Dylan's music. And they selected uh, Dylan's Christian period for him to do. And, you know, and Penn's like, you know, I'm an atheist. And they're like, yes, the world knows you're an atheist, Penn. <laughs> uh, we want you to do this. And, uh, and you know, and he tells stories that um, people will say, I'm so sorry that Christians were so mean to you that you became an atheist. And he said, I've never been but treated with love from my Christian siblings, my Christian brothers and sisters. He says, you know, I, I, that is not. And, um, and, you know, and you talked about that, that I, I hate the, that moral compass, that sense of values. Right. And, you know, sarcastically he's answered someone says well you know how do you have any code of conduct and if there's no god and he's like well i've killed everyone i wanted to kill he says of course he says i'm a good person i just know so i do think that and i think that and we can have a whole nother episode about that that i personally think based on my beliefs and my upbringing that um, there are going to be people who are surprised in the afterlife that the way they've acted and they're going to go really that's how you this is how you honored me really (laughs) Um, this you know like this is the part of the bible you followed how about all these other parts you know I I I, I, I have faith that that is a reality that is going to happen. I have heard, if I've ever, I, listen, 
I'm not the kind of Christian that hear hears God's voice say, "Go to yeah. Kmart, aisle twelve, and yeah. you'll see a vi-. like I, that." God yeah. doesn't speak to me that way, but He does speak to me through His Word, and uh, I, I have been prompted. Let's call it by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Oftentimes, I'm talking to somebody that is deriving this conclusion that just makes no sense to me. The best response I could come up with is, "Hmm, let's keep reading." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because oftentimes, if you keep reading. You know, I brought up uh, Leviticus 19 today Uh, at the top of Leviticus 19. You could read half of one verse at the top of the chapter and come to the conclusion that closed borders, no immigrants. They're all rapists. And, you know, Trump's, you know, going down on the elevator speech. Uh, But uh, if you keep reading the end of the chapter, it looks like a very open border policy. Not that I'm advocating for one policy. I I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. Just keep reading. Yeah. I love that. Keep reading. And an open mind and, yeah. and the idea, um, you know, I, I attended a business seminar and um, and he says, you know, what you should always do is when upper management is coming up with a policy that you don't agree with. And I'm not talking about something unethical, but just a business policy, you know, and he said, remember the phrase, I may not understand that I may not agree with it. But I've been wrong before, right? So, and I always think of that, hey, I've been wrong before. Um, it's not my place to put a judgment apart and, and try to read someone's heart. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and it, it, is, it is funny how much extremes we are um, of even something as simple as pop culture, you know, um, you know, they're almost afraid to tell me, well, I didn't like Bruce's last album, Letter to You. That's okay. I, I did. I loved it. But that's okay if you didn't like it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of harm has been done by those who claim absolute authority, yeah. whether it's authority of uh, truth, uh, authority over morals, authority over anything that's that's a setup for for failure even authority over how to interpret the bible in this case it's a setup for failure but when one accounts for one's own humanity and thus imperfection i think that's a good place to start some of the best conversations i've had have or relationships that have been nurtured have been nurtured because i had to say you know what that's a great question i have no idea (laughs) Can I get back to you on that? <laughs> well, um, I, I will remember that, you know, and social media is is in its own way a, a double-edged sword, but someone had tweeted, you know, how can you be friends with anyone who's part of the Republican Party? And I said, one of my best friends is a Republican. Oh, how can you even put up with him? Well, when I was lying in the hospital suffering from colon cancer he came to the hospital every night so that my mom my my wife could go home and get some rest and he stayed with me till i was tired and then left me and then went to work the next day that politics doesn't matter when you have a friend like that you know and and i i fear for those folks how lonely those folks might be because how how long is the list of your orthodoxy yeah you know how long is the list of boxes that you must check in order to be pure enough to be in your circle. Yeah. You know, because, Hey, we may agree on masks and vaccines, 
but we may disagree on immigration or guns or tax yeah. policy or foreign policy or abortion. Yeah. You know, so I think I think that level of orthodoxy, insistence on a certain orthodoxy, man, that circle is going to get small real quick. Absolutely. So what's next for the podcast? Boy, oh, boy. Well, <laughs> so I, I mentioned that we had uh, I think I mentioned that we had Dr. Rick Hansen. He mm -hmm. is an expert in meditation. He's a psychologist, a Ph.D., and uh, we just released that one this week. Last week, we released Rick Wilson, the uh, the co-founder of the Lincoln Project. Mm -hmm. Upcoming, we got Jonathan Rauch. We got uh, Mayor, uh, excuse me, Governor Christine Todd Whitman coming up next month. We have some some really wonderful people, a diverse array of wonderful people. Uh, recently, we had somebody that I'm still thinking about. I read her book, Lisa Sharon Harper. Her recent book is called Fortune. Uh, how race broke my family and the world and how to repair it all. Mm. And it's such a great account of the history of race in our country and a more compelling persuasive case for reparations, but she details what those reparations look like. So yeah, a real diverse array of people, you know, whether they're atheists or agnostics or non-theists, uh, a lot of uh, Jewish and Christian people, uh, Muslim people, scholars. So it's a, it's a fun mix of people. A lot of a lot of people who are a heck of a lot smarter than me, uh, and I'm just I'm man I just I'm so grateful that a lot all these folks have said yes and came on my my little program. But they're they're good conversations, and um, I, I think they're good, you know. And uh, our goal isn't necessarily to get a bunch of people on there that agree with me. Uh, our goal is uh, folks that I can learn from, and when I do come across uh, instances of disagreement, like. The one we recorded today that we'll release in a couple of weeks with the fellow who heads up the Secular Student Alliance. Uh, there were a couple points of agreement, uh, disagreement, I should say. Uh, but man, there were a heck of a lot of shared concerns that we have, a heck of a lot of uh, common cause that that we shared. And um, you know, again, not that we have to agree on everything, but if if I can learn a little and with a little bit more nuance where this fellow is coming from, why he's an atheist. I can learn, you know, kind of a question that you brought up before. What is the, what is the moral underpinnings of humanism? Yeah. Are there, is there any transcendent wisdom, uh, transcendent literature? Yeah. I, you know, I don't know this stuff, so at least I can learn more about it. So that's a little bit of what, what we got going on it. Sounds good. Give me the name of the podcast again. Talking politics and religion without killing each other. Uh, we're super easy to find. It's just politicsandreligion.us. Uh, poli the end spelled out politicsandreligion.us. And uh, yeah, TPN Darpod on all the all the socials, all the Twitter machines. <laughs> Good. Uh, before I let you go and we get to the Mary question, any final thoughts you want to share? You know, I it's this has been a great conversation. I'm used to asking the questions. So, uh -huh. you know, uh, sharing my thoughts is, is a little uh, unnerving. <laughs> I hope but, I did. Uh, I hope I did you good. I hope yeah, I did you did you good. But I started to talk about, you know, uh, a lot of music before I had to talk about the politics and religion. Yeah. So this is fun, man. This good, is really good. fun. Jesse. Very nice, Corey. It. Well, you're welcome anytime. Uh, if you are a fan of Corey's uh, podcast, uh, thank you for listening to this one. Uh, we do this um, every week. I have different people come in to talk about their love of music. I'd love for you to check out some other episodes. Um, I end every episode with the Mary question. So Jay Armstrong, who is a recently retired honors English teacher, 
Uh, he has a new book out, Bedtime Stories for the Living, talking about his journey with a very rare disease. Um, when he was teaching, he would end, he would tend two days of his senior year, his honor students, and they would break apart Thunder Road as a poem. They would go through all the lyrics. They would talk about Bruce's imagery. They would talk about how it's similar to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. And at the end of the two days, he would ask the question, does Mary get in the car? So Corey, forget all about, is there a God? Is there what's right? This is the question. Does Mary get in the car? She must. She She must. must. Tell me. Okay, so... I think that we need to have a sense of glory and a sense of romance. And I think that uh, I'll use the term cisgender men and cisgender women, as well as folks who are on different points of the spectrum of, of, of sexual identity, we still need and long for all of us, a sense of romance, a sense of adventure uh, for various reasons. We need that. Now, the other question, though, is, is there a part two? <laughs> you know, we often have movies where the happy ending is at the, the, the altar and the marriage, not the marriage, the, the wedding ceremony. But what about the marriage? Yes. So, you know, that sense of romance, you know, Shakespeare was very prescient because, you know, Romeo and Julio got together, but it didn't end well for them, you could say. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, or or. You know, what happened when they got to California? Was it as sunny and as glorious for the rest of their lives and they lived happily ever after? Or, you know, was there, uh, you, you know, did she get pregnant? Did he have to get a job waiting on tables? Did it take him 15 years to start making it out as a musician? Like, so that's the other part. That's like the real life part. But uh, yeah. but we we are still driven by that sense of, of romance and we, i think i think we still need it man she has to get in the car i love it i love that answer that is great Corey. this was so much fun i i could talk to you another hour um i i will have to have you on again and uh i hope everyone checks out the podcast and listens to them uh if they want to reach you are you on social media yeah it's Corey s nathan c-o-r-e-y s is in sam n-a-t-h-a-n Corey s nathan on i'm on twitter well actually no tpn dar pod is on tiktok but yeah okay. we're on twitter and linkedin and facebook and all the other stuff so. all right thank you sir thank you so much for your time and sharing so much about your thoughts and beliefs and your quest your quest to bring a little civility to the world very well done um listeners go get vaccinated go get boosted And let's try to be kind to each other because really that's the only way we're going to get through this. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlessingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at SetLustingBruce, and my personal Twitter is at DFW. We have a website, www.setlustingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. 
There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.